Hello and welcome to the 361 Degrees Podcast Season 6, Episode 9. My name's Ben Smith from Wireless Worker. I'm Rafe Blanford from the All About Sites. I'm Ewan from the wonderful Mobile Industry Review. Oh, name change. Exactly. I thought I'd change it. I thought I'd change it. Yeah, Happy New Year. Lots of love. Mixing it up for 2014. So is that is that wonderful in your opinion or have you received some kind of third party endorsement? That's in my opinion. <laughs> the opinion that counts. <laughs> All the people who mattered had a vote and it came out on top. Does that mean that 361 podcast is now one third wonderful? <laughs> it's, it's always, it was always, yeah, always exactly. been three thirds wonderful, Rafe Blanford, as well you know. Oh, now, stop going off script. So how many times do I have to tell you? This is, this is why you don't do PR for us, you know? <laughs> anyway, Happy New Year, guys. Yes. And yes. Likewise. Likewise. And to all our listeners, and thank you to all of you who got in touch over the festive period and the New Year period. There were lots of lovely emails and comments on the blog, and I even fixed episode six, which was inadvertently broken. So wow. I, uh, I, I, I'd spent some time with my family, and they were bored of looking at me. So I went and sat in a room and fixed the podcast, so as you do. <laughs> Right. Hooray for family time. So, anyways, um, penultimate episode of season six and first episode of 2014. Very exciting. And yeah. um, I'm very much looking forward to the last episode. Not because we have anything planned, but um, it'll be uh, very, very close to Mobile Congress. So uh, there's lots of big news at the moment. So I guess, gentlemen, he says, segueing neatly, we should go into our things of the week. Yes. McLeod, thing of the week. Right, my thing of the week is an observation. And uh, this is something that's been beginning to bug me. Um, well, not bug me, it's, uh, and it's, it's iPads. Um, and it's iPads in buggies. Uh, so, okay, it doesn't bug me. It just shows a real interesting trend, I think. So just, the, just to be clear, iPads in buggies, you, so for the, uh, the American audience, you mean like strollers? Strollers. For, ch- yeah, for, for things children. that children sit in. Yeah, okay, yeah. prams. Perambulators, and um, that what I've been seeing. This is the third time in as many days now I have seen a mother out shopping with her child, two or three year old, um, holding a full size iPad. I did check; it wasn't a Samsung; it was an iPad. I think it was a two or three, third generation at least. It definitely wasn't the original. Um, the child was sat there holding the iPad, watching a movie. Um, I do think that is quite remarkable that these things are so disposable or so available or whatever your description that um, it's acceptable now for the child to walk about this, uh, sorry, to sit in the buggy with his iPad, holding the iPad up on its lap, watching this movie, glued to the movie, um, the mother just pushing the thing, the, the child around. Um, you'd think that's probably like a, a mugging danger. Um, uh, but hey, it's happening, and I, I just I wonder what your perspectives are on that. Uh, Blandford, have you seen this much? Uh, I haven't seen this very much, but you don't see a lot of people uh, pushing primes about in the countryside. I suspect the fact that you're seeing people with entertaining their children with iPads in their pants is probably something to do with where you live, you and. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, uh, okay. Uh, yes, it's, recently, it's it was in Islington, right? That's central London. It's it's a it's a reasonably well-to-do area, Islington, I suppose. But it's yeah, reasonably it's, well-to-do. It's not, Islington. It's not, it's not Mayfair. Uh, I think it's for, for those that don't know, it is one of the uh, posher parts of London. I think it's fair to say. I mean, 
it doesn't surprise me in the slightest because we are seeing more and more technology being used in that way. And yes, they have become disposable to some people. Um, you can get on your high horse about ruining children's livelihoods and be brought up properly. What's wrong with entertaining them with a book or you know something else? Um, but I, you know, I'd actually be more concerned that they're using it to watch a film than using an iPad because I don't think there's anything wrong with using an iPad if you were maybe using it to do drawing or something like that. Yeah. But I do yeah. I find it a bit depressing that it's presumed some Disney film exactly. or something is, like that. Yeah, is exactly. It, is it the new Nintendo? Because I remember a, a year or so ago going to, a, going to a, a restaurant and seeing multiple children dotted around, heads down, playing their Nintendos with their headsets on whilst the grown-ups talked. You know, that was obviously they've been brought to entertain them at the end of the meal when things have got a bit boring. So I just wonder if, if iP- mm. iPads in that respect are just the new displacement yeah, I, device. I, I really disagree with that. I do see that a lot as well. If I'm walking by restaurants, you'll, you'll just see the glow. You know, uh, two adults sat there chatting with two children, both with headsets on or headphones on. Right now, he's zoned out. Right now, know, you, you wait until you're in a restaurant and both of yours have gone full nuclear meltdown and tell me tell me that putting a film in front of them so that you can have another beer won't uh, won't feel like an appealing device <laughs> now look okay yes yes i i, I recognize that but this you know now and again that can be quite useful you know especially if they're going nuclear and you can you can you know you can buy an extra five minutes to get the bill and get out of there quickly with an ipad or an iphone or something like that often not all the time it's not guaranteed by the way it's really quite annoying that uh but this is when you know, sit down purposeful you know the adults make sure the child brings the ipad and for the full meal okay. we'll sit there eat and yeah that's pretty bad right yeah. rafe blanford well, my thing of the week is actually related to CES, which is going on as we're recording this. And it just caught my attention that LG had uh, announced new lines of TV powered by our old friend WebOS. Uh, that's the operating system that kind of Palm tried to regenerate their business with, and it really didn't go anywhere. It got bought by HP and sort of died a death. And so uh, it seems that old smartphone operating systems get to have a second life as um, a TV operating system. Uh-huh. In all fairness, it's I'm not sure how much of WebOS is really there. I suspect it's some of the technical underpinnings and certainly the UI has been all switched up and there isn't very much information about this, so I can't tell people very much. All that LG are really talking about, it being simple connection, simple switching and simple discovery, which translates into it's got an app store on it and it's easy to set up because we've got a cartoon character that will help you through the setup process nonetheless i did think it was kind of interesting how some of the technology that was in web os and you know, we we talked in the past about how we like the kind of technical underpinnings of it a lot of it being web technology based can sort of be reused in a, another mm. product and obviously as a aficionado of smartphone operating systems i'm really looking forward to the symbian tv which will be launched at ces next year and presumably blackberry the year after that <laughs> that was a very long preamble for a quite weak joke, wasn't it? Okay, I'm sorry. It's the new year. I'm, you know, it's it, it's six o'clock on a Monday or That's seven true. o'clock even. <laughs> I guess it depends where you are. <laughs> but just how how can LG be using WebOS, Rafe? Because doesn't it belong to HP? I mean, that's the last organisation I ever heard of making a... I'm, uh, I'm pretty sure LG ended up buying the assets or something like that. I t- can't remember the exact details. I was in a right. desperate bit of Googling. Couldn't yeah, they bought the assets. To me in the time that you asked that question. Ah, there uh, we go. But yes, I think HP kind of washed their hands of it, having decided it wasn't suitable for printers after all. 
And <laughs> LG have actually committed to use it on about, I think, two-thirds of their smart TV lineup for 2014. So they're making you know, mm. a big push with this. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the big question here is, you know, will it work? I think it's you know, it becomes about the apps and can developers engage with it. If it's an easy use system, maybe. But honestly, it, it's difficult to see developers adopting yet another platform. But does it matter so much for smart TVs if it's something that works nicely and is a good platform for LG to develop on? Maybe that's enough. I mean, I, honestly, I find it difficult to get past, you know, doing something with Android or doing an embedded system of your own, why brand it WebOS, where all the geeks are just going to laugh at it anyway? Yeah, I don't know. I, I still I still am a little bit dubious about smart TVs generally. I think the smart device is going to be the one in your hand, and the, the screen will just be where the data goes, you know, the, sort of the Chromecast or the Apple TV kind of model. Uh, but I, I agree. It's, you know, implement the technologies like DLNA, Miracast, apple tv whatever it's going to be properly and just use it effectively as a a dumb screen because the chances are you're going to either put a smart box beneath it be that you know some kind of sky box here in the uk cable box in the us or as you say connect it you know to your laptop or your phone or your tablet and Mm. i see that as because the you know the replacement cycle of tvs is you know five plus years it just makes more sense to get the content source from elsewhere given that's still changing and mobile devices are certainly going to be capable of producing you know supporting and playing back 4k content probably even before it's widespread in terms of distribution of content there we go. Um, my thing of the week. Well, I, I'm str- I'm struggling a little bit this week because, frankly, I and you criticised my joke. Oh. <laughs> I did. I did. Just the audacity of that. that. <laughs> so, uh, very quickly, uh, my my um, cheap slates that we talked about, my cheap tablet. Uh, oh yeah, that arrived, but I haven't unboxed it yet. So I'm going to um, save that, and we'll talk about that on a later episode. But thirty-seven pounds for for this tablet. Um, the the data wind um, Ubi slate, um, which we talked about in a previous episode, so thirty pounds for the device, seven pounds for the shipping. It comes to something when the shipping is a significant proportion of the of the device cost. <laughs> uh, so interested to see what it looks like. I mean, under no illusions, it's going to be um, particularly uh, particularly fancy, but uh, certainly it's going to be. Um, it's it's going to be interesting to see. And one other quick observation: uh, what you and what would you say? What would you say if I said Samsung App Store on Android to you in terms of usefulness? Oh dear! You know, it'll get. I thought they already had one. Well, I mean, it'll, this is what I'm driving. This is what I'm driving at, which is um, we've another another little follow up from me. The um, we talked about the the tablet device that we you know we our first tablets and the one we bought for yeah. my niece and um, i've always thought well what on earth point was there in samsung having their own app store on devices when there's the google play store and of course uh, realized that samsung app store is ideal for kids because you don't need any kind of accounts you don't need a google play account or anything to um to connect it up so in the end um all of her games and things that she played on christmas day boxing day 26th all came from the uh, all came from the samsung store so so you don't need to register no nope. you, you just fire up the app and bingo there you go and you so, do realize okay, that that's... now nasty uncle ben has locked her into the samsung lifestyle for life all through one misguided christmas present well i've uh, done her a favor actually i did i did actually apply some parental con- at her parents request i applied some parental controls to the device uh, uh you know l- l- uh, late, later on in the christmas period and she was she was v- 
she was very miffed, even as a seven-year-old, that um, <laughs> that I had that you you needed a pin code to access Google now. So how am I going to act? How am I going to watch my YouTube videos, Uncle Ben? She said, I said "Oh my oh. goodness, you're, you're you're seven. But um, yes, it was it was quite quite telling how quickly she took to it, and also how how quickly the the priorities changed. So yeah, I was quite impressed with that, and it had you know had a good range of Disney stuff in there as well. So there you go, break, breaking news. We we seem to be talking a lot about kids at the moment on the on the podcast. So we should dial that down in the next season and talk about drinking and football. There you go. That's my my proposition. <laughs> okay. okay, you and McLeod, what are we talking about this week? Um, I can't remember. Brilliant. <laughs> there's, there's nothing. There's nothing like preparation. Okay, uh, Rafe Blanford, what are we talking about this week? This week we're talking about pricing of apps and app stores and all kind of app store related topics because we've had some great feedback from our listeners this week talking about upgrading apps with specific reference from going from ios 6 to 7 and should you pay again but we've seen that on other platforms and also we've had some stuff in the news about how app stores have been subject i think to social engineering would be the best way to summarize it with the wisdom of the crowds starting to fail as the crowds start revolting like the french revolutionaries yeah, it's um, it's been interesting. So actually, the it was um, it was a gentleman called Mark, and I know um, I know nothing more than than, than that about him except that he um, he, he commented on um, he commented on episode seven, uh, amusingly I thought entitled a very happy Christmas. <laughs> yeah, now that's that a ter- very clever. That's a terrible joke, Blanford. If you're taking notes about terrible jokes, that's that's the level we're aiming for there. Uh, okay. Anyway, but um, he um. He 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 made a bunch of excellent comments, and of course um, he he referred to uh, not being very impressed with needing to pay for a particular app uh, when it updated to iOS seven. And I sort of well, I, actually he made loads of great points. So I agreed with most of them, but I I thought actually that I didn't generally mind paying for apps again. And it made me realise that when we talked about all our favourite apps, we never really talked about cost. So it, it's been it's been done to death a little bit, but overwhelmingly my my sense is that really app store prices need to go up frankly so that developers can make a fair price for the amount of effort they have to put into developing good apps and therefore quibbling about whether or not you pay for an update version or some in-app purchase or something like that would be taken away because this is all more a facet of the fact that most apps cost slightly less than a cup of coffee Right, I, I think this has been a problem since since the App Store launched. And it's been one that everyone has conveniently looked the other way at. And you, you, I think you just have to look the other way because you're so reliant on Apple to fix it and do the thinking for you. And they really do seem quite reticent to do anything. Um, and I, I can understand, yes, it's now a billion-dollar ecosystem. They've got to be careful. But there, there are some very simple problems. These developers need to get paid. And I have always questioned uh, developers whenever I've been speaking to them. I did a massive focus on developers when I used to run mobile developer TV um, a good few years ago. Uh, when I was talking to them, like, how are you going to make money? They said, oh, well, it's, you know, it's, it's one, one fifty, one ninety nine, or whatever the, the ecosystem would, um, uh, would offer them. And I said, but is that, that that's, you're, they're only paying once. Is there nothing else you can do? They go, oh, well, that, that's, that's, that's how it is. It's just the price of a cup of coffee. Um, and I thought that was really short-sighted off the developer. To, to, that's the only way they can make money off you is once. Um, and then, then you see that, that quite a few developers, the, the one that springs to mind for me is the calendar application, Fantastical. They released Fantastical. Very cool. I paid 
and then a quid or two for that. And then uh, they wanted to do Fantastical 2. So instead of upgrading you, which is what we all know we've been conditioned to expect, which is not, you know, that's not fair necessarily, but instead of upgrading it, they've, they've come out with a new version and charged you for that. And I, yeah, I think that's probably the only alternative for a lot of developers, but I can see the annoyance from the consumer because you set my expectation ecosystem. It's a quid. Yeah, and that's it. And it shouldn't be any more than that. I'll maybe pay for a game, but again, I don't want to pay more. Um, yeah. Rafe, why why is it that all the really commercially successful games are chock full of in-app purchases, and yet and 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 evidence would seem to be that that people are willing to pay for games, but yet um, paying paying twice for a calendar application, or or, or in, in Mark's case, and I, and I don't mean to single Mark out particularly because it, it could well be that this app was didn't didn't warrant paying for again, but. Um, paying for an RSS app twice when, when it was updated uh, does does rankle, and certainly I've I've caught myself wondering whether apps were good value in a way that I don't think I I would do other, with other products. I think there's several facets to this this question, but to answer directly what you were saying, why are people willing? I think it's human nature, and people, if asked, will say, "Oh, I'm quite happy paying up front." In fact, I'd rather do that when it comes to something like games. But when it actually comes down to it, the allure of getting something for free is just too strong, and it's kind of human nature. And it's you know, once you're hooked into something, you know, addiction, if you like, you will then prepare to pay for the in-app payments to get more lives, more levels, or whatever it happens to be. It's kind of you know, delayed satisfaction, if you like, and it's for the same reason that you get addicted to anything else and it works and this kind of ties back into the original question in that different business models work in different ways and freemiums come along because there was this race to zero on app pricing and it just wasn't sustainable to pay 79p or £1.49 for a game and so developers yeah. had to look for a way of, you know how can we increase the revenue without putting users off because if they price, price their game at 4.99 it just wouldn't sell I think that has translated over to apps, which, if you look at the reports, you know, do naturally have slightly higher prices, but not high enough. And apps tend to have slightly lower download counts in games, mainly because they're not kind of that same disposable content. Users will go through a lot of games. They'll actually tend to only have a handful of apps that they use regularly and might be willing to pay for. Um, and so I think there is a slightly different attitude towards apps. And I can understand this frustration, you know, if, if I upgrade, people are kind of programmed to expect to get it for free. I mean, they're getting the iOS update for free, so why aren't all my apps updating for free? In this instance, it's made more complicated by the fact that Apple has actually said you can't, you know, submit new updates to the, the, this app unless you're following the iOS 7 guidelines in an updated style and all of that kind of thing. And that has a real cost. And developers are having to spend money updating their apps if they want to add a new feature that might be beyond the typical update, which is why I think we're seeing developers starting to charge money for, for updates. Uh, Personally, I don't think it's unreasonable, but at the same time, if I'm a, a user and have an app and I upgrade to iOS 7, I would expect that same app to be able to you know, download it and use it without it sort of switching back to being a, a, a kind of a freemium app, which has been happening in some cases. Uh, and I imagine the, the other thing is, even though I might be able to retain the old version of the app, I don't really want the old version and I don't want it looking, you know, particularly on iOS 7, uh, you know, looking out of place because older apps didn't follow the, the design cues. Yet the 
the other option is actually to pay for quite a lot of updates all at the same time. So it messes up as well because individually each developer might deserve to be rewarded. But if Apple's forced them all to do this work, do I want to pay for two, three, four, five, however many apps, you know, all in the same you know space of a couple of months? Um, quite annoying. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's that, that discontinuity of the upgrade experience and then subsequently the app usage experience. It, it can be annoying. There's no doubt about it. Uh, but as I said, because we've had this race to free, there is that expectation to get everything for free. And it has to be paid for somehow. And actually, if you look at the app business models in general, the most successful ones are actually the ones that kind of have a attach a revenue model in some way. And that could be subscription, so something like Netflix or Spotify is another example, or you know, a, a subscription access to content, and then after that, you do get these kind of in-app payment apps and games, or the, the freemium model, if you like, and the original model, which people I think still think about as the typical way to buy apps and games, is the you know the the pay up front or you know, get for free and then advertising supported, and those I think are some of have been proved to be the least effective in monetizing application. Now, that's a massive generalization, of course, but people still tend to think in that mindset, whereas perhaps you need to take a step back and say, you know, what's delivering value for me? And if there's an application that you're using every day, you know, say a calendar app or an RSS app, the idea of not paying maybe one ninety nine to be able to keep on using it, quite frankly, it is nuts because if it's that valuable to you, it's fine. And you're regularly downloading games or other bits of music. It doesn't stop it being frustrating, but at the same time, the the pricing that you paid originally is probably reflected in the way that that model has shifted to effectively a subscription payment. You know, you're paying one ninety nine each year to use that app, and with that, you'll get an update each year, and you'll get new features and new functionality. You'll look like the new version of the operating system, but you aren't buying something outright. It's more of the rental model. Uh, frustrating personally, but it, it's it's been forced that way because of this race to zero on app pricing in general. It's interesting also that we we talked mostly about the Apple App Store and obviously that's where people paying for apps really took off, although obviously it happened elsewhere. And even now, most people, who, as I understand it, most people who are paying for apps are iPhone users and um, it's far less common. It's not impossible, it's far less common for in, in the Android ecosystem. But um, I, I, I kind of wondered... Maybe maybe the Google Play Store, as it is now, launched too too soon before any lessons could be learned. But why why haven't other other ecosystems learned the lessons of of the stores and instigated sort of slightly more innovative ways for developers to get paid, like your subscription model that you were talking about, Rafe, and calling it a subscription? Because everyone seems to be falling into the same trap, don't they? Uh, yes, I mean, you get the same thing on, on Google. And I mean, Google, you're right, it tends to be more free-based. I think that's more a reflection of the type of people or devices using it. It's the lower cost device and more dominant and you know, tending to want things for free because cost is more of an issue. But you get the same thing on Windows Phone. I mean, Microsoft took a long time to get their app store to a mature state. In-app payments only came in relatively recently. I mean, they've got quite sensible in the sense that, um, just like on Apple and Google, you will be able to download things onto a new device and that includes in-app payments it doesn't always work on the developer side of things but it does strike me that there's room for an awful lot more flexibility or innovation in the app store and we in our very first episode of 361 we talked about how the app store was dead and it was rather a tongue-in-cheek episode deliberately trying to wind people up 
But I, you know, in one sense, I think the original model of the App Store is in severe danger because we've now got hundreds of thousands of apps listed in there. It's difficult to find the good ones. The kind of the payment and the business models don't really work very well. And if anything, are now stifling uh, mobile ecosystems or stifling the app economy, to kind of use the buzzword. And I do wonder whether that kind of gold rush period for apps has has come and is now sort of disappearing out the door and the app store model which was held up as being this great leveler is actually now more of a a chain more of a a lock and key to what comes next um so so, overemphasizing perhaps but it's worth thinking about so so what, what what should what should developers do now ewan to 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 make this better for consumers because we can we can what if about re-architecting the app store and you know i'm sure lots of great minds in in various head offices are thinking about that but practically that's not going to happen in the short term and uh, so so the the reality is we've got to deal with it but what should software developers do in order to make a fair amount of money themselves, but also to sort of respect their users and give them the best experience? Because, you know, whilst I suppose it's you can flippantly say, give everybody everything for free, you know, that's not viable because going out of business isn't a good way to service your users any more than charging them an arm and a leg is and making them go elsewhere. I think the, well, the, the advice here is you just have to do your research incredibly well because you might uh, every developer you speak to typically unless they're addressing a very specific niche has that lottery dream you know i want a million people downloading it every day uh, which you know is achievable um in the short term and yeah, a few people get there and there's all sorts of uh, stories if you if you look in depth uh, particularly um there's this kind of rather interesting um app store growth hacking uh, chart hacking you know where you can you can try if you pay a lot of money to uh, advertise your app for a particular hour that means that you'll pop up the rankings for that hour that day and therefore because you're into the app store rankings you'll get more and blind it's self-fulfilling and so on there's there's a rather murky industry there um and there's a lot lot of money being wasted just to give you an idea by the way the cost uh, this is according to TechCrunch. The cost of acquiring a a user that opens your app for m- more than three times, or at least three times, is one dollar thirty. That was at the beginning of the year, right? Um, and it's now one sixty-two. So it's gone up thirty cents to acquire a user that opens your app three times. And I, I don't know, it, it does depend on what you're doing, what kind of app you're doing. But really, I think if you can try and target it effectively, then I'd be happy to pay a subscription model for something that is really, really valuable. Or, something that's, or have a developer tell me, look, you know, we we got to deliver brilliant, brilliant services. And this app, you know, we know it does a lot of, it has a lot of value to you. Therefore, it is per month. It's one ninety nine a month. And yeah, you know, the facility exists for this. I just I, we, we aren't really using it that much. There's newspapers and other periodicals that are adopting this kind of per month subscriptions. But I I, um, I think it's the developers being short sighted and perhaps not targeting or not looking after their uh, their core audiences or, or investigating those audiences first before they launch the app. And what do you think? So I, I agree. I agree. I mean, I, I think I'd be happy to. I'd be happy to pay a subscription. And actually, those numbers you just talked about in terms of uh, cost to acquire users alarm me even more because it suggests things are even trickier for um, 
for app developers and that's even before you start to think about the money that the app store operators are taking out of the the pot yeah it's quite a quite a generous helping huge cost isn't it 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 is potentially and if you're charging 79 cents or a dollar a user that's and, ridiculous. And you, well, you're, and you're losing thirty percent of that potentially. Although, yeah. you know, different stores give different deals. So, but of course, the thing is that I can I can rationalise it out. I can say, you know, I get I get really probably exceptional value from my apps because I, I I use my my mobile so much, and also maybe I'm more aware of the costs and and the need to support the ecosystem and that kind of stuff. But I, I can't can't hand on heart imagine that something that cost. 79 cents or i mean let's say that even even something that costs 199 this week if it goes up to four or five dollars won't cause a won't cause a a a bit of a stink and i I wonder even even if in the long term it works out for developers because i did see i I don't have the reference now it's just a shame but i did see a an article about someone who put their price up and then saw their users vanish but then saw the remaining users more than made up for it because they were kind of you know loyal high value users and this kind of stuff but you've got to be pretty brave and particularly if you're if you don't have a big array of properties to to experiment with you know if you've got but it doesn't work anyway right because that means that everybody has to work on the lottery model Right, they yeah. say, well, I'm not going to go for the 20,000 users because those 20,000 users will only pay me 20 grand a month. Um, yes. I'm going to try and get the million users, so I'm going to make it free. And then I don't get a million users for whatever reason, therefore I have to shut the company down and the app doesn't get any more updates. With what you're talking about there, you it's kind of the traditional pricing formulas and, and you're, Ben's quite right, mm. you know, uh, the elasticity of pricing demand does dictate you can move the price and try and get users and opportunity costs and all that kind of thing that's some full-on rafeonomics there though that uh, those words those were all, those were all economics words i recognize them but i don't know they what were, they mean i could talk about the formulas but i'm not actually sure what it is myself so i'll just pretend i know what i'm talking okay. about but I, I think that the wider point here is that actually those models where you pay up front are probably dead and gone because there'll always be someone that's willing to lower that upfront price because it's a digital good of which the distribution cost is essentially zero. The sunk cost of developing is very much not zero, and that is, if anything, going up. And with those prices we're talking about in terms of you know, the price to get a user installed, arguably the distribution costs aren't zero either. And so I do think the non-traditional models, which actually are just replicated from elsewhere in the retail world, content is often sold on a subscription model in newspapers or you know, TV are very much on that way of things. But the idea of apps are just so entrenched that, you know, you kind of buy an app up front. That's what you've always done for computers. And if not, it's been kind of shareware, which is kind of a try before you buy type thing. That That is going to disappear. And I think it's actually part of the way apps are maturing. And there's been this gold rush or this hype around apps. And I think the number of apps being developed will get reduced in the sense that there will be less sort of spam apps produced you know just trying to be part of the gold rush and instead it will be recognition that most of the times apps are being developed and delivered as part of a a wider service so you know the company that that provides the rss feed the um i think for all of us at the moment will develop an app and may well charge for it if you want to use it on mobile it doesn't mean to say there won't be any third-party stuff at all i just think that this you know, the idea of a completely independent, kind of slightly anarchic app economy 
is already disappearing and the big names have come in. We've seen that in games with the kind of the rise of the really big game developers and not the indies being pushed out, but certainly becoming less prevalent in the early days. And exactly the same thing happened in the early days of computing in sort of the 80s, where it was kind of quite a a strong indie scene and that gradually disappeared as the really big corporates came in and became responsible for a lot of app development. And you can say the same about games. You know, people will talk about the good old days of SingPair or the BBC or whatever your chosen computer was. I think it's, you can't just map that narrative onto smartphones, but I do wonder if there is perhaps a story to be told around how this is actually just a natural part of the kind of maturing industry and users are just going to have to basically like it or lump it. Um, well, I, 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 I very much hope that the, the subscription model does pick up, actually, partly because su- subscriptions spreads the pain a bit and so feels like the least intrusive um, way, but also because as an app developer, not under to developer myself, but as somebody who works for a firm that develops software, albeit we don't sell to consumers, we sell to businesses, um, I always tell customers that all apps even all apps are always services you know regardless of what you've bought because your your users are going to update their phones or buy the next samsung galaxy or you know want want support in the future etc etc and so all apps need ongoing support and maintenance to exist in this changing world in a way that traditional software and and even even web-based software uh, doesn't now because the rate of change there has has slowed down to a much more manageable level it was possible just to issue you know one update a year or something like that for for a traditional particularly an enterprise app Um, and that's that's blowing a lot of people's minds now but it it lends itself well to saying well since since you're always paying i'll always keep the app working for you and it's a sort of a bit of a trade-off well i'm incentivized as well Uh, and it comes back to a topic we've talked about before is that the product life cycle of mobile is much shorter than other areas of technology and and this sort of impact on apps and particularly that upgrade process is just another element of this and i think there is perhaps room for that technology cycle to slow down a little bit but i don't think it's going to happen any time in the immediate future right guys i think we should leave it there because we are over time and i also think that because we're over time we're going to bump letters of the week this week because oh. I, I know, I know, but I, we've got lo- we've had loads of emails in over Christmas. Um, but I also know that lots of people have been away uh, with family and friends and those sorts of time. And, and uh, watching the numbers, I can see people are doing their catch up listening. It's it's fascinating watching the stats. So we've had a bunch of really good emails come in, uh, including actually uh, disappointingly uh, loads from people outside the UK, which is unfortunate because the the last prize we have to give away to listeners in the series is an HTC One, which unfortunately we can only send to UK-based listeners, which means we really need to find something good to be given the, the, the American and the overseas listeners. So we'll leave that for this week, but we will come back next week, and perhaps next week we will give over an unusually large amount of time to listeners' questions, and we will we will review all of the outstanding questions and get a bit caught up. So um, as ever then, guys, we'll uh, thank you very much for your time. Uh, it's been wonderful. Thank you. Happy New Year. A happy New Year. And of course, next time we, we're doing this one by Skype. Next time we'll be doing it face to face for the real in the room magic. Like that.
silence i love the silence thank you gents that's that's brilliant so always good to speak to you happy new year likewise and uh we will be back next week for the last in series six and a massive great wrap-up episode we'll see you then bye-bye If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can comment, subscribe and catch up with previous episodes at 361podcast.com. If you're an iTunes user, we'd be jolly grateful for a five-star review. There's a link and pictures of how to rate the show at 361podcast.com slash rate. Each review makes it lots easier for new listeners to find us. 